We're approaching Thanksgiving, and uh, I thought we would have just a maybe look at that issue from a little different perspective today. Uh, I want you all to think of yourselves as in one of these categories. Take your pick. You can be a Jayhawk. You can be a Wildcat. Or you can be a political conservative. All right? <laughs> Take your pick. Have we covered everybody? You know, you know. And let me ask the question. Is everybody happy? <laughs> Are we thankful? I'll be thankful if I can get this on. Okay. Um, well, you know, we laugh, but, you know, there is a legitimate question there. Would God you know, who sees us all the time and knows our innermost thoughts, would he characterize you and me as thankful? Um, From where does our thankfulness come? It's a key question. Um, Now, I'm going to suggest that thankfulness springs from our awareness of our total unworthiness and inadequacy before a just and holy God. And until we figure that out, you know, we're only really going to be thankful for the big, happy surprises. And unfortunately, a lot today uh, of, of our culture today is spent in kind of being cool, nonplussed, you know, we really don't want to be surprised or express emotion over much of anything. Uh, But think, when you're old, do you want to be known as as a thankful or a sour old man or old woman? And I choose to take the path that Evelyn's chosen. But I would be willing to bet that she didn't just become that way recently. In other words, when we get old, we don't change very easily. It takes some time to develop that, and it's probably a better idea to start when you're younger if you want to be that kind of an older person. You know, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, it seems like he got it backwards. Because spirit's a good thing, isn't it? He probably should have said, blessed are the rich in spirit. But, you know, when you put the emphasis on spirit, that it doesn't really make sense. But when... You put the emphasis upon poor in spirit. You can understand that what he's really conveying to us is a picture of a beggar by the side of the road who is grateful for anything he receives. And that's how we should be. Um, Well, for what should we be thankful? Tough question. Paul tells us, Rejoice always, 
pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? Paul says it's God's will that we give thanks in everything. And when you think about our position, really our thankfulness is the foundation of our walk with God. And without it, we really don't have much of a relationship with Him. But you've got to admit, sometimes, perhaps often, this is easier said than done. Now, at this particular time in history, uh, this is neither an easy message to give nor, I'm sure, to hear. Uh, not with Wall Street, perhaps our old economy, uh, on the verge of a possible collapse. Um, at least some very difficult times ahead economically. Um, the key of our presidential election, the key word was change, right? Well, man, are we in for some unprecedented change. You know, say, things seem to be moving at a dizzying pace. Just a few weeks ago, we were wondering how we were going to pay higher and higher gas prices. And now the prices are a third of what they were. What's going on? Well, instead of being worried about whether we can pay it, now we're concerned, are we going to have a job at all? Because as demand goes down, you know, so does the need for our services. Uh, you know, have, have any of you young people heard of the word deflation? You've been hearing inflation all of your lives, but that's what we're going through right now. It's an amazing time. And we can see it. The massive layoffs have begun. Now, not to mention the political prognosis, some actually believe we're headed for socialism with government ownership of everything and government control of everything. Some, either, some are even concerned about fascism. Uh, you know, the bailouts and the massive debt comes at an extreme cost, mostly on the backs of you young future taxpayers. Yeah, take all that, throw in an increased possibility of terror, and uh, we could easily not only have a, an economic depression, but a mass societal depression. We could all find ourselves on the couch of the shrink. Uh, so, uh, you might be justified to throw tomatoes today if I were to stand up here with a big sign of a smiley face in back of me and just say, don't worry, be happy. It's, uh, so I won't say that. But the word of God, now, that's a different story. James tells us every good thing and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation nor shadow of turning. Hey, I can handle that. You know, for the good things, the perfect gifts, boy, can I be thankful. But what about the not so good, the tragic? What about the disastrous? 
Should we really thank God in all situations, even the bad? You know, this is admittedly not an easy question to answer. A man named Charles Templeton, in the earlier part of the 20th century, founded a 12,000-member church. And then, because of his effectiveness, found himself on the sawdust trail with Billy Graham and was involved with a number of his early crusades. Then one day, Pastor Templeton looked at a Life magazine and he saw a picture of of an African woman pleading to God for rain and holding her dead infant. And he said to himself at that time, if God is all good, as I believe, he, I believe he was, he would not allow that to happen. He would not deny that woman something as simple as water for her dying child. Therefore, Pastor Templeton concluded that God must not exist at all. And he spent his days writing books, his remaining days writing books about how The evangelists were confused. He even got Billy Graham to doubt for a while until Billy came to a firm conclusion that to simply act upon faith. Let's look at our situation, our era. What is the single most uh, tragic incident that we have experienced in our era? Probably 9-11, right? If we serve an all-good, all-powerful God, how could 9-11 occur? Well, let's go back and take a look at this. We've got to have a perspective. We've got to have the proper attitude. And this doesn't sound very cheery, but I suggest to you that the first thing we've got to start with is an attitude of Unworthiness. This is not exactly a sought-after virtue in our culture. But, and after being blessed as one of the most affluent and free and strongest nations the world has ever known, we have come to think of ourselves as, well, worthy of God's protection, His security, and His safety from any calamity, especially intentional harm done by the hands of foreigners. That's why 9-11 was so surprising. But really, was it? The prophet Jeremiah laments the destruction of Jerusalem in the book of Lamentations. Uh, In particular, how the Lord allowed it to happen by turning his back on Israel. Now, if God allowed it to happen to his chosen people, why not us? Let's look, although, at Jeremiah's perspective. In Lamentations 3.21, it says, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. After lamenting the destruction of Jerusalem, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. 
You know, Jeremiah understood that you, 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 and I, we all deserve to die. And the former evangelist Templeton failed to see that we all deserved to be in that picture with the African woman and her dead infant. So the first point is develop in ourselves an attitude of unworthiness so that we can understand how to be thankful for what we have. Secondly, we've got to understand that all that we have and all that we are comes from him. And the best example of that comes from the story of Job. Job, if you want to turn there, it's right, bef- right before the book of Psalms. And we're just going to go ahead and read chapter 1 because this really tells the story well about how we understand our position with God. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and the man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions also were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the men of the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of of each one on his day, and they would send and invite the three sisters to eat and drink with them. When the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, Perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. So, clearly Job knew he had a great life. And he did not want any of his fun-loving kids to offend God. So he did whatever he could to make up for any transgressions that may have been committed by them. Continuing now in verse 6. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? And then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and an upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Satan answered, Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. Now put forth your hand now and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face." So basically what Satan's saying here, here is, you say Job fears you? Well, you blessed him and protected him from all loss. Why should Job fear you? Take away those blessings, and then you'll see the real Job. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that Job has is in your power, Satan. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Now, this is, as Dave Snyder would say, fascinating. (laughs) God and Satan seem to be having a wager on the faithfulness of Job. 
Satan is allowed to test God's servant. Continue there, verse 13. Now on the day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabians attacked and took them. They also slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came up and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another came and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they all died, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Now talk about change. And I don't mean to minimize the pain and hurt that some of you have experienced, but do you know anybody who's experienced something like that? Well, Job knows at this point that he's lost, if not everything, just about everything that he held dear. And he responds both as we would expect, but then not so much as we would expect. Verse 20 says, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Now, what was Job's response? Did it hurt? Of course. He did what any of us would have done. He grieved. Ecclesiastes 3 tells us there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. But in a spirit of utter humility, he also recognized his position with God. The patience of Job was a result of his recognition that he had no right to his wonderful life. So if we want God in control of our lives, we must accept the bad that he allows along with the good that he gives. The third point that I want to try to cover here is is that uh, all things, all things including the difficult, painful things, are for his good. And it's amazing, you know, Bob figured out what we're going to talk about, and so he covered a lot of this today, how God has a plan. And things, you know, the problem is, even though Romans 8 says, all things work together for good to them who love God, the problem is that God's good doesn't always appear good to you and me. Like, A spanking. Right, kids? 
not only are we unworthy, but God has a purpose in everything. He does or allows just like a father who disciplines his child. You might consider Hebrews 12, where the author there says, For consider him, Jesus, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by Him. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, and He scourges every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we have respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good, so that we may share His holiness. All discipline... For a moment, this is a no-brainer, seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. You know, a father who does not discipline his child may mean well, but in God's economy, he was really not showing love to his child. God disciplines like those of a loving father for our and his best. So, has God spanked us here in the good old USA? Clearly, our omnipotent, all-knowing, all-good God allowed 9-11 to happen. But what came from that tragedy? certainly a whole lot more patriotism, even a pulling together of conservatives, liberals, you know, know, all kinds of people came together and even allowed the mention of God in public over and over and over again. And the ACLU and the speech police were nowhere to be seen. They didn't dare say a word. My, but things have changed in the seven short years. I don't know. I don't know. But maybe the USA is ready for another spanking. Look at another situation. Some may lament our presidential election. But if you take a closer look, you notice a little thing happened. Clearly, president-elect pulled out the black voters like no one else had before. In this election, there were California and two other states had uh, initiatives on the ballot 
to ban gay marriage. In California, 51% of the whites voted against the ban, in other words, in favor of gay marriage. But blacks voted for the ban 70 to 30. And the, mess, the, 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 the initiative passed with the 52% of the vote. So those voters that the president-elect pulled out went into the voting booth, flipped the switch for, most of them, for Obama, and then flipped the switch against gay marriage. You, know, you never know. You never know how God is going to work through those situations. And now the, the homosexual advocates are condemning black pastors as ignorant and getting away with it. Next, we should always be grateful for all things, including the painful, difficult things, because those are the things that produce godly character in us. Now, Paul saw God's hands in working character in him. In 2 Corinthians 12, he said, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, Evidently, Paul, a pretty gifted individual, had a problem with pride as well that he knew of. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you and power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, it's rather difficult to hear that difficulties and discipline are good for us. Um, You know, immediately after uh, talking about the demise or the destruction of Jerusalem, Jeremiah goes into a passage, which this is a great old school passage, uh, where it says, speaking to young men, it is good for a man that he should bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone and be silent since God has laid it on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust, perhaps there will be hope. Let him give his cheek to the smiter. Let him be filled with reproach, for the Lord will not reject forever. For if he causes grief, then he will have compassion according to his abundant loving kindness. Not an easy thing to hear. Those difficulties work character in all of us. So if we look at Romans 8 in context, we can see that all things work together for his good so that we might be conformed to the image or the character of Christ. James said it this way, Consider it all joy, my brethren, that when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, or some say patience. But let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. 
The next point is that a thankful response to adversity produces genuine love. Paul said in Romans 5, we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. When we have the right attitude about adversity, about trials, about difficult things, when we are thankful that God is willing to work in our lives in those strange ways that do not feel good to go through, we develop a love for Him. A little bit of practical application here. You know, it wouldn't hurt us all every morning when we wake up to thank God for another day. We should thank God for the things that we normally take for granted, like breath. You know, it helps, and I'm, I need to work on this, I know, and, but... It, I know it would help me if I would thank others as often as I possibly could. Because much of what I am and what I'm able to do is because of others, like my wife and my children and many of you. And I'm not a very good example in being thankful. It sounds crazy, but look for benefits that come from those trials and setbacks and even tragedies. Look for those things. And finally, try to transform expectations into godly desires. Now, what do we mean by that? See, the difference is between the two is that when we have an expectation and then that expectation is not realized... We're disappointed and usually unthankful. And unfortunately, a lot of things will disappoint us. They will not fulfill our expectations. Expectations of people in particular, you know, like our own children, can be very frustrating. Do we have expectations of others that are perhaps a little unreasonable? If we do then those expectations can become a great roadblock to thankfulness in our lives. I work with uh, people for whom expectations can be emotionally stressful, if not damaging. I see people regularly that desperately want children and when they come in, they have this look in their eyes of hope and maybe even that they expect me to come up with one. So I say to them regularly, this is easy for me to say and hard for you to do. But I urge you, the more you can put this whole issue 
in the hands of God, the better off you're going to be. But in truth, it's not really easy for me to say that. Because when I look into their eyes, I see longing. Even big, tough men crying in front of me out of a godly desire for a small portion of what God has poured out to me. And I feel so unworthy. But God has a purpose in everything. I have 11 children. Um, Most of them are fairly stubborn. In fact, some would characterize most of my sons as rather hard-headed. And you might say, duh, what do you expect, Kent? They're your kids. (laughs) The way that I look at this is that, you know, God has a purpose. And he knows that it's going to take many battering rams to knock the rough edges off of me. God tells us that men with men is like iron sharpening iron. And just as God allowed with Job, he could take those kids away from me at any point. And when I'm talking to those people, I become so very thankful that for the time being, I have heads to knock against and iron to sharpen mine. Let's pray. Father, this is a difficult issue. It's a struggle that we all face. How can we become grateful when hard things happen to us, when tragedy strikes? But Lord, we pray that you would enable each one of us to look at your bigger picture to understand that you have purposes much bigger than us, much bigger than our little worlds. And even though it's painful, Lord, for each, every one of us individually, perhaps to be fired or to lose a loved one, Lord, we know that all these things work together for your good. And I pray, Lord, that you would work in each one of our hearts so that we could be genuinely thankful for the great blessings that you brought to us as well as the hard times. Lord, that uh, this would not simply be the season for thankfulness, but that rather you would shed your joy abroad in our hearts throughout the rest of our lives. Father, we ask all all these things. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, for whom we are most thankful. Amen.